Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Moses writes, and God proclaims, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. By way of introduction, I was struck in uh, Kevin DeYoung's commentary this week where he picked this up from someone else uh, along the way. But as we come to the ninth commandment and nearly finish the Ten Commandments, somebody else had noticed this pattern in the Old Testament that in the book of Genesis, uh, Adam had put Eve before the Lord, and therefore he broke the first commandment, and death followed. In the book of Exodus, uh, after the Ten Commandments, we all remember the incident of the golden calf, where there was the obvious breaking of the second commandment, and death followed. In the book of Leviticus, in chapter 24, a man blasphemes the name of the Lord breaking the third commandment, and he was put to death. The book of Numbers chapter 15, there was a story about uh, Sabbath breakers doing work on the Sabbath who then were therefore breaking the fourth commandment and executed. The book of Deuteronomy in chapter 21, there was a rebellious son who dishonored his parents breaking the fifth commandment. And he was put to death. Uh, The book of Joshua, we have the sin of Achan stealing things from the battle of Jericho, breaking the Eighth Commandment. Judges, we have the breaking of the Sixth Commandment. First and Second Samuel, we have David and Bathsheba. David breaks the Seventh Commandment, which also death follows. The illustration in the Old Testament of the Ninth Commandment being broken will be a sermon illustration in just a moment, but it's interesting that there is a a pattern uh, God ordained in the Old Testament, the very first five to eight books of the Bible, we have explicit illustrations of death and consequences because of the breaking of these commandments. That they're very serious. And we come to the ninth one and might think, I've not lied in court, so I'm good. And as I said in my email this week and in the intro this morning, I think the stakes living in a smaller town are probably even higher on dealing with this commandment than if we were living in a huge city. Not to say it would be any less of a sin. But a man can lose his reputation in a small town and almost assuredly never recover it, or a business owner, or a church. 
This is very significant for us. The outline is, follows the catechism. What is forbidden regarding truth and reputations? What is commanded regarding truth and reputations? And how can we live in a world full of lies? Which is where we find ourselves. Firstly, what is forbidden? What we'd have to admit telling lies publicly. It's the most basic understanding of this commandment. We could say not bearing false witness is to not be someone who tells lies. Uh, There's a public nature to this today, but even more so in Moses' context. Because there was no audio recordings, there was no forensic science or DNA testing. So everything was based on eyewitness testimony. Society then hung on if people were truthful. Deuteronomy 17.6, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Zechariah 8.16, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. 1 Timothy 5.19, even in the New Testament, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. There's the pattern there. Larger Catechism 145 mentions sins forbidden, a few being giving false evidence, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good, and good evil, concealing the truth, Undue silence in a just cause. So, in public, there's not simply the call of don't lie. There's the call of speak the truth if it's not being spoken. Stand on the truth regardless of consequences or circumstances. But be a people individually or corporately, we're not selfish about ourselves only, but actually want to promote the cause of truth, and we'll do so in every venue. What a, what a witness that is in our country today. But telling lies publicly only really gets at part of what the commandment is forbidding, because... We have to talk about hurting the reputations of others. Larger Catechism continues. What's forbidden? All prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own. How would we do that? It continues. Slandering, whispering, Scoffing, reviling, rash, or harshness. Misconstructing intentions. Misconstructing intentions of someone else. Their words or their actions. Raising false rumors. 
Matthew 15, 19 to 20 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. Used to, Jesus is dealing with Pharisees who are thinking, the people that you're hanging out with, the food that you're eating, the people you're associating with, Jesus, you're dirty. He turns it back around to the commandments and says, oh no, it's what's coming out from inside of you that's defiling you, including these things from the ninth commandment, bearing false witness and slander. Back to Kevin DeYoung, how does he define these things? Succinctly, while gossip is passing along what you may not know, or passing along what's true but unnecessary, slander goes one step further. It's deliberately passing along what is false. Heidelberg Catechism, 112. What's forbidden? That I bear false witness against no man, or falsify any man's words, that I be no backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge, nor join in condemning any man rashly or without a hearing. I don't think our culture cares about any of this. But listen to what James has to say about our words. Whether they're face-to-face with someone or what we're talking about behind someone's back. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That sounds dangerous and deadly. But if I've learned nothing in a short decade of ministry, it is that I have to be three or four times careful before I say anything. Not just right here, but before I say anything to anybody. You might ask, but it says don't bear false witness against my neighbor. That's only a couple of people. The context is that I'm not going to bear false neighbor against any other Israelite first and foremost. But as we go through the case law, it's very apparent they're supposed to love the stranger and even their enemy. I'm not supposed to bear false witness against anybody. What's the Old Testament example of the breaking of the Ninth Commandment, though, in particular? 1 Kings chapter 21, there's a man named Naboth who has a vineyard. And King Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, supposed to be this godly person, acts like an abject pagan. He wants Naboth's vineyard. Naboth says no. Jezebel says Well, aren't you the king? Why don't you just organize a feast and make him the center of attention? So King Ahab organizes a feast and invites Naboth and invites the town. 
Naboth is the center of attention. While they're feasting, a man stands up on Naboth's right. And a man stands up on Naboth's left. And accuses him of cursing God and king. Two witnesses. He's executed. Ahab gets the vineyard. An innocent man is put to death. Because two other men, maybe they were paid off. Maybe they just wanted to be in good favor with King Ahab. Maybe they were afraid of Jezebel. But death was the consequence. What do we learn from what is forbidden? We shouldn't make assumptions about anybody, chiefly in this room. We should not gossip behind someone's back about what we may or may not think was done or said or intended. We can't spread falsehood or lies against someone else, which is slander. Well, what should we do? Because we're going to have problems and we're going to have questions. Well, chiefly, uh, if you have a question or a concern or a complaint, let's, let's just start with me. What should you do? Come to me. I want you to come to me. You have a sinner standing before you. I probably have sinned against some of you. And nine times out of ten, it probably wasn't even personal. It's because I'm a sinner and I mess up. And if you have a question or, or a concern about me or about anything to do with this church, I would love for you to courageously come to me. If you have a question or concern about anybody else, if you think that there may have been something said, or there may be a thought or a question or a concern, go to the person. In my experience, which is extremely brief in this congregation, typically it's going to go very well. If you go to another member of this church and say, did you say that, or did you mean that, or do you have a problem with me, or do I have a problem with you maybe, or... Maybe there's nothing. That, that's what it takes. As opposed to the easy route of just, why do we do that? We're bored. We're consumed with what someone may or may not think of us. And so we pass along what may not be true. But I want to hear whatever you have to say. And would invite that. We've actually all taken vows to this end. Membership vow number five, do not do submit. Do you submit yourself to the government discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and the peace? That's how we do the purity and the peace. It's easy to just absolutely destroy a community in a neighborhood, on a sports team, 
at work, in a church, by not doing these things. But we're actually called to do them even though it may be countercultural, not how we were raised. But we've never done this before. But approaching, approaching people and asking questions that may be hard or maybe not pleasant is far better than what James says in chapter 3, which is if there is gossip and slander going on, the destruction to someone's name may be unrecoverable, even if they're innocent. We see this constantly on TV. And it should not be how Christians treat one another. What's commanded regarding truth and reputations? Firstly, we would say promoting and defending truth publicly. Heidelberg Catechism again says that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth. Speak it uprightly and confess it. We are people of truth. To promote the truth publicly and to confess it regardless of any circumstances or consequences. That this means that we care about telling the truth in a court of law or in a court of the church, regardless of who's involved. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm trying to seek the truth. I was asked on the phone this week by a teaching elder in another presbytery, well, what do you think about this in the news? And I said, brother, I don't care what political party somebody's in. I want the truth. I want justice. I want everybody to go to jail if if they violated the law and they committed a crime. I don't care who they are. I want the truth. I don't know what he was expecting me to say. That's the honest truth, what I wanted to say to him. Larger Catechism continues about what's commanded, that we keep lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and a good report, appearing and standing for the truth, and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully, speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment, and justice. Do we love the truth? What are we afraid of? What a witness again in our communities. To say to our brothers and sisters who may be passing along what may be true or what's not verified. I saw it on social media. Somebody told me this something or other, and I can't remember who it was or exactly what they said to say, hold up. Is that true? Do you know it's true? I can't talk about it. I want to know what's true. In the courtroom, in the church courts, publicly, in business, before I want profit before I want relationships, before I want friendships, I want the truth. I want justice. 
But again, that's kind of the very beginning of what's commanded. We could say also what's commanded is promoting and defending our neighbor's reputation, going a step further. Heidelberg puts it this way, that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. I am concerned about your name and reputation as much as I am my own. Startling how Heidelberg puts that. Larger Catechism. Preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, as we've just already said from the Shorter Catechism, and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name, defending it when need requireth. That sounds like a lot of hard work for us to do for somebody else. Actually promoting and rejoicing in their good name. Defending my name and your name. Unless there's evidence between two or three other people. Discouraging flatterers and slanderers. Freely acknowledging their gifts and graces. A celebration of your success. Be it in your family. Be it in a promotion. Be it in a good job well done. Acknowledged by your employer. That I say yes and amen to that. Rather than, where's mine? Why don't I get that? Let me tear you down so that I might be built up. How do we do this? What are some ways that we can promote and defend each other's names? Don't jump to conclusions. Matthew 7.1 Judge not that you not be judged. Now, does that mean there should be no justice and no judgment? Of course not. This means you are judged based on how you judge others. Treat others as you want to be treated. Therefore, don't jump to conclusions. Don't join in or spread gossip. Proverbs 18.8 The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. We have a a commonality, don't we, in this friendship? Because of what? We talk about so-and-so. That's not good. That's not what binds us together, talking about so-and-so. What binds us together, hopefully, is our faith and our commitment to not do those things. That's what everybody else is doing. Our commitment is to not do those things. Even though it feels, feels good at the time. It feels a relational void. Maybe I need a friend and I'll do anything to get a friend. And part of what this friend wants me to do is talk about another friend. No. 
I'm promoting the other person's name. Promoting the truth. We should also hear both sides. If there's a, a problem. Proverbs 18.17, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Well, I think he said this, and I've got a couple of witnesses. But we don't go, guilty! There may be somebody else who has another side to the story, whether in a court of law, a church court, or in a family. Moms are like experts at this, because so-and-so comes up and says, he hit me! Like, okay, you go to your room. And then someone else comes up and says, time out! Here's what actually happened. You're like, wait a minute. I made a mistake. You hit her. Then he hit you. You're both in timeout. Well, what's the risk in all of this if we're, if we're not promoting the name of, of the neighbor and we're not defending it? Proverbs, again, 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, it says this, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And friends, I just don't know if we believe that. But the truth is that you can get a new car and you can buy another house and you could get another lawnmower. You may not get your name back. You may not get the reputation back. And my name matters. And your name matters more than our stuff. Which is why there is a pattern of conflict resolution in Matthew 18 that I walk through in every new members class. When we talk about the fifth membership vow, go to the person. If they've sinned against you, if you think you've sinned against them, If that doesn't work, take someone else, hopefully a witness. If that doesn't work, take the church. Which does not mean take everybody in here, but take the church leadership, meaning those who are supposed to govern the church, the leaders, the elders. I was told a story this week about the ninth commandment that was about three or four years in the making. An elder in our presbytery has come across several men, teaching elders, who in their hearts and in private conversation had accused at least two, if not three other teaching elders of forsaking the gospel, of being liberal, and going woke. And every time this elder interacted with any of these men, both teaching and ruling elders, he would say, have you gone to the man and asked him what he believes? Well, no, 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 no. No one had ever gone to any of these accused men. But they did this last week. They followed this elder's advice. One man did. One teaching elder went to two other teaching elders and said, I don't know why you voted on these overtures the way you did. I have thought that you were liberal, crazy, and woke. 
but I want to take you to lunch and I want to look at you in the eye and ask you what you believe. And he realized after eating lunch with them, he was wrong. They're not woke. They're not liberal. But he had broken the ninth commandment and had messed up their reputation in multiple churches of Presbytery. He asked for forgiveness. And it was granted. I'm not anyone in that story, so if you're wondering, it didn't involve me. But I had tracked some of these conversations for a couple of years. And the gospel works. That's who needs to be leading our churches. Not perfect men, but men who follow the truth, who love the truth and repent when they sin and receive forgiveness. And they repent. One thing I I would like to say is that I've been convicted over the last several weeks and months that it's so much easier to have a hard conversation with someone or approach someone along Matthew 18, not simply if you're best friends, and we're not all best friends, but if there is some kind of prior relationship, which there should be in some sense in a church. This has to be proactively pursued in a shepherding manner. I feel convicted that I have failed in doing that for about the last 12 to 15 months as a pastor. The pandemic was over long ago. I'm trying to fix that. But I ask for your forgiveness. It's going to go easier if I have to come to you at some point and have a hard conversation if you know that I love you. And I have to show that. It's going to go much easier if you're a member of this church and we have to deal with whether or not he said, she said, if there's a circle of friendship or love or compassion. But that has to be fostered. The ninth commandment is how to tear up and destroy a community. But by actually keeping the ninth commandment and not just simply not doing what's forbidden, but actually doing what's commanded, we grow community. And we say, I know this person. I love this person. I don't want to destroy them behind their back. I don't want you to destroy them behind their back. If they're guilty, they're guilty. And we'll have that conversation. But firstly, there has to be some sense of compassion and love and shepherding, which I am actively pursuing, personally in a renewed way. But we live in a culture which hates all of these things because our culture hates truth. It's completely built on selfishness. And my name over your name. So how can we live in a world full of lies? If you remember at the very beginning, I was discussing how so many of the commandments were broken even in the first several books of the Bible. And what was the result? Well, the wages of sin is death. Matthew 26, 59 
says this. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. They found it. And what was the result of them breaking the ninth commandment? Our Savior, our Redeemer, paid for all of our sins. Not because He had broken the ninth commandment, but because we have. We've prized our name over even His name. He's forgiven us. He's given us mercy. He was a victim of the ninth commandment Himself as we will discuss soon during Holy Week. But he didn't need another witness to bear testimony of his own innocence. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings of the earth. John 15.26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, that I'm innocent. That you're forgiven. That I love you. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Not only have you been forgiven of destroying Jesus' reputation and the reputation of other people, or lying or gossip or slander, But if you've been victimized, lost your reputation, even though you were innocent, Jesus testifies, the Holy Spirit testifies that we're children of God, that there will be ultimate vindication on the last day, the last judgment, that we'll be declared innocent. If we've been wrongly accused, but also because we are guilty, ultimately, and he's declared us innocent because he was declared guilty, even though he was innocent. We have to ponder the reality, the sweet reality, that you've been given a new name. What is that name? It's the name under which you were baptized. You belong to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. No one can ultimately tarnish that reputation that you were given. And you will maintain it forever. So therefore, keep the ninth commandment. Stand on truth above all else and promote and defend truth at all cost in the name of your neighbor. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, these are hard words. They're very relevant words in the South and in a small town. I boldly ask Jesus, that you would bind this community together. 
centered on the love of Christ. That we would love each other as friends, but not at all costs. Not at the cost of truth. But that we would have so much love for each other that we would confront lovingly. That we would pursue each other lovingly, joyfully. That if there does arise sin against neighbor, because of the gospel, there would be repentance and forgiveness. All because of the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.